This week's show is brought to you by Media Temple. Whether you're looking to migrate a business-critical site or application to the cloud, Media Temple is your trusted team. Their experts can help you move to the cloud, maximize application performance, and find peace with your infrastructure once you're there. Visit mediatemple.net to learn more about all of their managed cloud services and to unlock the full potential of your virtual private cloud or the public cloud. Today's presenting sponsor is Datadog. If your business is being driven by software, you know today's applications are more complex than ever. They're sitting on multiple layers of infrastructure and distributed services, and it can be very complicated to manage. Datadog brings visibility into every part of your infrastructure, as well as APM monitoring for your application's performance. Customizable dashboards, collaboration tools, and alerts let you develop your own workflow for observability and incident response. Datadog integrates seamlessly with all of your apps and systems, from Amazon Web Services to Kubernetes to MySQL, so you can get visibility in minutes. You want to get started now? Go to datadog.com slash cloudcast to get started with Datadog and get a free t-shirt. Datadog is trusted by thousands of enterprises, so if you haven't tried Datadog at your company or on your side project, go to datadog.com slash cloudcast to try it out and get a free t-shirt. And now, on with the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to The Cloudcast. We are both coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, how are you this morning? Doing good, doing good. Um, it is uh, a little bit earlier than our usual recording time, uh, but it was uh, absolutely worth getting up for our guest this week. Yeah, you're up. You're caffeinated. We, uh, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that we've 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 been very lucky to to have is we we have a global audience, which is very cool. Uh, we have listeners from around the world, and so thank you to everybody who listens. But we've been a little bit slack uh, about you know getting guests from around the world, and I think sometimes we. You know, we would benefit from some perspectives on, uh, you know, how cloud computing and some of these technologies are are being adopted around the world. And so today we're very, very lucky to have v, uh, to have uh, through Vijay Kumar. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on through this morning or actually this evening for you. Um, hi. Uh, nice to be with you, like guys. So you're coming to us from uh, from Sri Lanka. How are things out there today? Yeah, it's good. Actually, it's um, almost uh, yeah, end of the day and evening. Nice weather. Yeah, it's good. And uh, for, for those of us in the United States who are not great at geography, give us a sense, where is Sri Lanka on the map? Where, uh, where are you in the world? Yeah, Sri Lanka actually, it's the country situated in Indian Ocean, just a little below India. So you can spot that island, a small island. So from the geographical point of view, so that's where we are located. And uh, it's, we have a population of 21 million people here. Very good. Well, cool. Thank you for being on this morning. So, give us a little bit of your background. We, uh, we, you kind of, you kind of came on our radar <clears throat> because you've you've written a, a very good book lately about developing applications, sort of modern applications on top of Azure. But give us a little bit of your background. Give us a little bit of you know some of the the technologies and and types of things that you've been working on, and uh, you know a little bit around why you decided to write a book as well. Um, yeah, so I started um, working in the industry from 2008, and I've been following it up to now. So I started as a software developer, so worked with different languages, Java, J2ME, then moved to the .NET stack. Then there on from 2010 to 11, from the early stages of Azure, I started using Azure, uh, being part of uh, Sri Lanka Microsoft. 
And I work with cliently ranging mostly the current company that I'm situated is Tikri Corporation, so which is headquartered in Singapore. And we have a cliently altogether mostly from Scandinavian countries, Norway, Sweden, and Australia. And previously, I have worked with clients from Thailand and Russia. Interesting. So oh, fantastic. Of, uh, yeah. yeah, most of my works, uh, the currently I'm a solutions architect in Tikri. So currently I work with the business stakeholders and the development team to put on uh, down these solutions, especially on cloud and how they can use these uh, cloud technologies and adapt to the cloud. And maybe some are a bit uh, hesitant to move to the cloud. So we see a different uh, dimensions on each geographies and how different countries are adapting the cloud in different ways. And, and Thiru, what, what attracted you to Azure? Um, is it the, the .NET development background? What, what, uh, what was the attraction there versus, say, AWS or some of the other large public clouds out there? Yeah, so, yes, exactly. The .NET development background initially uh, attracted me on Azure. So I started in 2011 working on Azure. So those times it was in a very, very baby stages. So it has only three services by that time, virtual machines, cloud services, and the storage. So th during that time, I was working a bit closely with uh, Microsoft Sri Lanka. So we were one of uh, the advocates of promoting Azure. So that's the first stages of why I really jumped into Azure. But there are some certain projects actually I have worked with AWS as well. So if you take Sri Lanka as a country uh, within Sri Lanka, I see a parallel adoption for both AWS and Azure in the equal range. And some, uh, some organizations are using Azure and some are using AWS. So, so give us a sense, you know, you, you are, you're lucky enough, you get to work, like you said, you work with sort of the, the Asia pack rim, so down into Australia, but you're also working with some clients in, in Russia, up in the Scandinavian countries, but, you know, but also around the, the Sri Lanka and, and Indian markets. Give us a sense of, you know, what are, what are some of the trends that are, that are happening in, in your parts of the world, uh, both in terms of, some of the technologies people are using, um, some of the common use cases, or or even just you know trends in, in how people are, are learning all these new technologies. Um, yeah, so if you take um, uh, Sri Lanka, so uh, in any cloud adoption, actually, I see a very common pattern. So initially, a large organization or a, uh, or a business wants to move to the cloud. So initially, they consider this cloud adoption as mostly into a lift and shift mode. So they have these uh, uh, VMs or the application running in their own data centers, so they want to just put it in the cloud, it's either Azure or AWS or any, any public cloud. So that's the majority of the adoption I see in Sri Lanka. So but writing cloud native applications using very specific services uh, of cloud and using the platform models of the cloud, actually that's it's about it's, it's in the beginning stages when it comes to Sri Lankan IT industry or the Sri Lankan companies. But if you just take the same in the Scandinavian market, especially that I heavily work uh, with uh, Norwegian cliently, so that's the adoption is very high. So they are using very very native cloud uh, uh, technologies, which are, which even on the other hand even provide a disadvantage of uh, cloud lock-in. So, but most of the cliently is in Norway, so they are very specific to move into the cloud, and they they have their evaluations done right. And they have uh, very broad understandings in terms of data governance and application handling and uh, all, all the pricing models. So they, they have the flexibility and also they, they want to be more cloud native rather than just running, running on the VM. 
And and you mentioned so you've mentioned both Lyft and Shift and Cloud Native there um, for basically for different parts of the world, if you will. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the business demands and use cases that that are driving the underlying technology decisions and and what kind of applications that those are in each of those categories, please. Yeah. So if you take uh, Lyft and Shift, so that's one of the Apple providers. Actually, they they have the collateral applications around. The, their e, main ERP systems. So these applications are also a bit legacy if you consider the technologies that they are written on. So desktop-based applications and some uh, old uh, web-based applications. So they have their own limitations to be moved or rewritten on the available past technologies. So they use these uh, very traditional storage systems. So they have their own cost allocated with that on move, moving to the past. So those kind of applications, people, because of the cost factor, they just, because of the cost factor involved in the rewriting, prefer the lift and shift. But mostly these SMEs and the startups or even the startups projects around a big enterprise, they prefer writing the cloud native uh, applications, utilizing the cloud services for the benefit of cutting down the development time and moving forward on a very fast-paced delivery mode. Example, if you take uh, the, the recently, I've been seeing uh, high adoption on the serverless market, which is uh, either it could be AWS Lambda or Azure Functions and serverless logic apps. So it definitely cuts down lots of uh, development time in terms of tooling and the workflows that we define. But, of course, it, ha- it comes with the disadvantage of they are locked in with the particular provider. But since they are startups and they want to go to the market uh, very soon as possible, and they just want to validate the concept and reiterate, so those kind of uh, business cases, uh, going native cloud applications really helps because it cut down the development time and the price is lower and they get the feedback uh, sooner. So in the in the cases where you're seeing these people go cloud native, or you, you know you mentioned them looking at going serverless, what's the what's the what's the driver there? Are there certain types of applications? Is it a a mobile application, an IoT application? I mean, what's the you know jumping right to serverless is a is a pretty big jump for people. What's what's driving them there beyond just kind of lower cost? Is there a certain type of application you're seeing or a pattern of applications? Um, yeah, for in this comes to serverless, mostly it's IoT based application as you mentioned. Okay. But there are some interesting cases actually. One of the financial a fintech application with uh, API gateways backed by serverless. So that was one of the technical decisions we made recently, which actually gave us a very good cost reduction in terms of the development time and going to the market because this is a bit of a enterprise system it's not an iot it's not a mobile application but they just want to provide a very robust api gateway for the external developers which talks to internally to lots of legacy systems so that trigger we made using serverless because one of the main technical decision was because we can just go to the market soon and check what uh, is really required by these developers and the business reasons why the supportive business reasons why chose serverless is because of the cost benefits hmm. because that's the actually serverless is one of the benefits actually these public cloud vendors came up with because of the economies of scale so even when we call pass or platform services any public cloud provider provides the pricing is comes with chunks so each chunk is priced but for most of the serverless computational pricing it just pricing is comes with the usage 
the way you use, you pay. Yeah. So that economies of scale is really good. And also the development effort. So the tooling which comes alongside with these serverless modules, like it could be AWS Workflow, Azure Logic App. So it's just a drag and drop of modules. So you can easily test it and turn it around in the evening. And again, next morning, you do something different. So it's quickly you validate so that's one of the another benefit of serverless. So it's a, really a combi- combination of both velocity and and cost savings, if you will. Now, l- let me let me ask you this: what what are some of the the core technologies then that you're using these days? And and the reason I ask is because we we always have a challenge on this show of okay, how do you really keep up with everything? Because whether it's AWS as, or Azure or a, really any of the public clouds, they, they started out with a core set of services, but then they grew and grew this catalog to the point, are they using services? Are you using containers? And, and what kind of technologies are you really seeing um, these days? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's an excellent question. Like, so as I mentioned, like in 2011 and 12, during those days, if I remember, Azure just had only three, three items in the catalog, but now they have more than 100. So, and also, since these uh, new stuff are getting added to the catalog, it's technology decision-making has really be, have become very tough because always one, the other technology looks better than the other, and also it, has, it comes with all its own pros and cons. So one thing actually we do as, uh, as a company in TICRI, actually, we have a technology radar, so where we scan out these uh, technical inputs and we just plot it. And with our architectural team, we decide what to adapt and what to test and what to assess. The technologies actually we have been assessing and uh, we have the experience we just put into the customers. And also the concepts like containers or, or the microservices or these serverless. So these things are being adapted based on the use cases. For example, if some uh, a new term like serverless coming into the market, before adapting it, we do have our own research uh, doing serverless computing on a POC of a particular client or maybe on a dummy application. And we do run our own scaled tests and uh, load tests on that. Then only we just try it out on a slow-paced adoption mode. Slow-paced adoption mode in the sense if a customer is already there, we don't just go and shift the entire application to a concept like serverless or let's go and use this technology. We just take a chunk of it. We take a small vertical and we'll try it out with that. And based on the feedback and the the adoption patterns actually we get, then we started moving across the organization. So that's and, how it typically happens. And, and was that then the, the a lot of the thought process was, was that what went into the book? A lot of learning these technologies, testing them out in, in environments before you roll them out to customers and, and then that uh, went into the book? Exactly. So the book is written exactly in that way. So if you really take... Uh, uh, the book, there is one single application which starts in my first chapter, and there are eight chapters. Across these eight chapters, each chapter, this application adapts a new technology based on some evaluations. So we, we actually expand an architecture. So architecture also like is an architectural runaway. So we fix the components right, and we try to adapt it. And for the existing application, we take a slice of a vertical, and we adapt it. Even for the mobile, actually, sometimes we do that. I want to I want to ask a question. We um we're we're kind of spoiled here in the United States when we deal with the public cloud providers in that their data centers are you know somewhat locally located. Uh, you know, so you know we we don't run into the issue of an application is in the United States and the data 
might be somewhere else. How do you, how do you manage, you know, so obviously a lot of the providers, whether it's AWS or Azure or anybody is putting data centers in, in more and more locations, but you know, they're, they're not in every country, right? You know, they, they've yeah. just gone into the UK or they've, but they might not be in Germany or they might not be in Norway versus Sweden. How do you, how do you guys manage that in terms of kind of the, the country specific data sovereignty laws, you know, where data has to reside and proximity to, to the data centers. Like walk us through that process where you have to sort of figure out how close am I to a public cloud data center? What are the laws around where my data resides? Kind of give us a a sense of how some of that works or how you have to think about it. Yeah, that's, um, so if most of the Scandinavian customers actually, we use the, uh, the European data centers. But of course, that comes with a problem when it comes to the DR plans when we want to replicate the data or the geo-replications we do. They have their own restrictions. Though uh, there are data centers outside their country, they, they don't uh, want to put that outside the country. So those comes with certain regulations. And some countries actually recently, one of the customers from Dubai, so we ca- couldn't move to the cloud because uh, they want the data center inside their country. So not inside the region, so the data center should be inside the country. So in those cases, actually, of course, is a miss of cloud adoption. So it comes, in, as you mentioned, data governance and sound issues. So that is still a problem. But also, having said that, I I have also seen a wide range of adoption and acceptance in the cloud, main, mainly when it comes to data, because some of the Australian customers, which are huge enterprises, they are okay to have their DR or the backup plans uh, copy to Southeast Asia, which is technically in Singapore data center. So Azure recently opened in in in, in Australian region. So before that, they were okay to run that in, in their Singapore data centers, and then they moved to the Australian data center. So it's, it's a mix. It's based on the business, based on the business context and their laws. And most of the organizations who are dealing with very sensitive information, uh, personal information, and especially the financial information, they are not willing, they are not willing to put the data outside their countries. But other uh, startups and other organizations who uh, deal with real estate and uh, other sort of businesses, they are pretty much flexible on keeping their data outside the organization. Give us a sense. Uh, we wanna, I want to dive into the book a little bit more. So, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you took the time to write the book, um, which is a, a huge undertaking above and beyond, you know, your, your day-to-day job. What are some of the things that people people can expect to get from reading the book, uh, some of the, the sample applications in there? Or what are, you know, what are some of the, the things that if you were to, to hand this off to a colleague, you go, look, this is this is what you're going to benefit from. You know, give us a sense of what, what was your goal in this in terms of helping people to learn things? And, uh, you know, what were some of the things that you learned just from going through the process of writing it and, and having to, to sort of learn it as you go? Um, yeah, so actually I was approached by the publisher to write a book. Actually, they I think uh, they got the introduction through my blog. Okay. So initially I had a bit of a hesitation whether to write, whether I have the time with uh, the job. And later I did a scan on how the, there are anyhow, there are, you can find uh, more than 100 books about Azure. Even if you search on a specific topic, topic you can find thousands of blogs and lots of books. But one concern I had was actually, even which I have seen widely within the company and also in other organizations, people don't see any any cloud platform or any technology as a, as a tool to give a solution. So they say if you take AWS, they say, okay, AWS has this AWS S3, and they go from 
top to bottom of the S3 and they talk all the technical details of S3 or maybe Redshift. Or if you take any service from Azure, that's they do. So there are technical documentations and technical how-to books are available. But if you really put a real-world problem, for example, you are going to create an IoT solution for a, a farming startup. So then it's not only a one particular technological service that you use to create that solution. You connect lots of bunch of uh, services in one particular cloud platform, or maybe you use several other services also to provide the solution. So that's the basic idea of this book. So this idea uh, came as creating a multi-tenant based document management portal. So that's this book address. So it includes everything from how to set up the environment and how you set your code environment, how to create your branches, uh, development, set up the development team and handling the documents and encrypting them, how to manage your keys, how to you search the documents and how can you some generate some reports, how you handle the administration. So it handles different aspects of the entire solution. And we are when to choose a NoSQL service and when to choose a relational service, when to use you know, go for a search service and search driven architecture. So it's lots of things goes into building a solution rather than just talking, okay, one technology service. So that's the differentiator or the USP of this book actually I came up with. And my book really targets on developing that one particular application. So this entire eight chapters keeps on improving that one particular application as a solution point of view. So that's the uh, input for the uh, developers or the readers that I'm trying to give. So they get a holistic view of how they can use Azure to create a solution on top of Azure. So if you're really looking for a input or a content, I want to get to the advanced level of one particular service of Azure. Of course, my book is not the right choice. So for example, if you say that they want to learn about uh, uh, storage services or search service of Azure from top uh, one to zero or one to hundred, then it's not the right book. But it gives the right information for you to how to choose a search service and how you decide what to choose, how to adapt it in your existing application, and what are the high-level things it can provide with some basic core samples. So then that's the right choice for the book. No, you bring up a great point there because a lot of the books that I've read and a lot of the documentation <clears throat> I've read is exactly that. Um, it's it's nice to have more of a, a solutions and architecture approach versus a product deep dive approach. And and but you also mentioned this was fascinating to me how to kind of line up the the process and how to line up a little bit of the internal teams and the culture. And I would wanted to explore that very quickly as well. Tell me a little bit about, from your um, certainly a more global perspective, what kind of adoption has to happen internally in a lot of those companies when it comes to like a culture and process standpoint? And yeah. and, and before you before you jump into that, Aaron, I, I'll throw out one little tidbit. You know, I, I we told people before I was doing this roadshow with with Gene Kim. You know, one of the things, and, I, and this is what I like about the book. Like it's very solution oriented. It kind of walks through things in depth. You know, one of the things people would tell us all the time about Gene's book, The Phoenix Project, was it wasn't just a a toolbox book. It didn't just you know tell me technically. It kind of built a story. It was something that could be explained as more than just CLI. And um, so I think I think especially as we're getting into all these sort of changing technologies, it's important to be able to convey that in a way that's not just let me go in depth on some technology, but let me 
weave in the business aspect of it, the people aspect of it. So, um, yeah, let me, I, I don't want to mean to interrupt, but I, I wanted to throw that out as a tidbit because I think we're seeing it more and more people want that, that sort of way to communicate. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it's, it's the book is all, all, all the, the holistic solution approach, as I mentioned, when it comes to the team orientation or how, how we set the culture about the team, and the second chapter of this book is all about uh, how you, so the t- chapter starts like this. Actually, I start with the problem introduction and, okay, this is the problem we are going to solve. And then it starts from purchasing an Azure account and then moves on. So one developer gets a problem and then he gathers a team and how he helps up the source code and how he build the continuous integrations, development and test cases and the DevOps practices. So the second chapter is entirely dedicated for how we set this continuous delivery and continuous integration uh, DevOps culture into the team. So when it takes uh, Tikri again as an example, this this is actually a learned lesson within my organization for because we have these uh, small teams working across uh, the countries because some teams have developers in Sri Lanka and also they have some developers working in Norway and Australia. So the time there are time differences, there is a cultural difference. So we all get together and manage these things and we, we have these uh, uh, daily meetings and the court check-ins and the peer reviews, how these uh, things should happen. So it's a cultural change. Of course, we sometimes feel a bit of a fric- uh, high friction situations when we introduce new developers who has no experience in working across these time zones. But over actually as an organization we we have a very transparent practice and uh, we we take our retros very seriously and uh, we jump into that and we much as possible we keep the teams uh, divided into smaller much as possible into three to four people even a bigger projects we have the sub teams concept so three to four people is the max and they have their own on work models and on jira tasks so that's one of the approach we have to easily adapt it without uh, much of a friction. So that's a learning, and that input is actually just pumped into the second chapter of this book and how we technically handle this in terms of the tools, uh, tools of collaboration and tools of uh, testing the uh, CI and CD platforms that's what's available along with uh, Azure and VSTS. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense when you when you split up the teams to sort of keep them a little bit geographically not, not isolated, but uh, th- that function stays in an area because I, I know from having done development in the past when we had lots of time mm-hmm. zones and so forth, you it, it makes it hard if you're not if you don't see the people you work with, you, you create friction. If you if you split work between time zones that you know is three or four hours different, and people are waiting on somebody else before they can yeah, move exactly. on the, on theirs, it makes it hard. So uh, yeah, no, I think that's that's important, Aaron. I, I think you know one of the big things I, I hope people take away from today's show is. Um, you know, we, we live in this, this global world these days, uh, the projects that you're going to work on, you know, most likely won't be, you know, one country bound. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting things that, that through, through talks about that, that people can kind of, can kind of glean from this in terms of how you organize your teams, how you have to think about, you know, where data is going to reside, you know, cause it won't, may not be in a local data center. Yeah, no, that, that stuff is, is very, very interesting. So let me, let me wrap this up with maybe one last question. As you're, as you're sort of looking ahead a little bit about how technology is kind of impacting the, you know, kind of you as a, as a global citizen and, and dealing with lots of different cultures around the world, how, how do you think about dealing with all of them? Obviously, you have to deal with all of them, but do you have a, a way of thinking about, you know, the pace that the Scandinavian countries move versus 
Asia Pacific versus something else, or are you just like everybody else? You're trying to keep up with it as quickly as you can. Um, yeah, actually, that's a very interesting question. So each, each country and uh, each business have their own pace of uh, using the technology. But overall, uh, what I see these days actually almost almost all the business uh, discussions end up using two terms. I I can. Uh, honestly, say actually, ninety percent they they these days they use machine learning and AI and microservice. Even without context of understanding them, actually, uh, I I can pretty much see almost across all the countries these business stakeholders using uh, these technologies. So one thing is actually the more and more the business stakeholders are moving or getting aware of at least the high level things of technology. So that is one of the things I personally see as happening globally across. I think you might be having your personal experience as well now on that. Earlier, business stakeholders think, okay, technology is something aside and we work aside. But now the overall adoption is there. And when it comes to different countries, my personal opinion actually is Scandinavian countries, especially when it comes to Norway and Sweden, they, they have a very high rate of adoption toward cloud uh, when it comes to cloud path adoptions. And they are going on a very, very promising adoption pattern. But if you take Australia, they have a very high adoption of cloud, of course. But when it comes to the application development side, they are still lacking in in, in certain areas. Of uh, uh, most of the businesses are still thinking on uh, moving to the cloud, or they are still uh, comparing the cloud and how, how how they can use it. But when it comes to Salesforce and other cloud systems, they have a very rapid adoption. So also. Even in the, within the Scandinavian countries, I see a bit of a difference between Sweden and Norway. So Sweden, most of the customers go with the AWS. They prefer going for AWS. So the AWS have got a good market in uh, Sweden. But in, in Norway, it's I, I can see that most of the customers prefer Azure. Interesting. Because, uh, so that's sort of a difference also I, I, I see uh, in terms of how companies and the businesses are seeing. But overall, in the next two, three years, if to predict, I think... Uh, from the when it comes to the data, we, there is there won't be any questions whether we are going to encrypt or not, as now entire web is anyhow getting into HTTPS. All the data will be encrypted, whether in in storage or trans uh, in transit. So that's I can clearly see that, and also maybe in uh, the AI and the machine learning side, every single application, every single business is looking some way or the other how they can use this machine intelligence to improve their business and getting more revenue. So those two things will be uh, prime adoption in, in recent future. Hey, Thuru, uh, I think we're, we're sort of hitting our, our time limit here. We're going we're gonna to wrap it up a little bit. Um, obviously, we'll have links to your blog and, and to the book in our show notes. But if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to you know maybe ask you a question, find you on Twitter, other places you might be uh, available to talk to people? Yeah, actually, they can really contact me via my blog or just uh, tweet back to me using my Twitter handle through, uh, through tweets. So that's I will immediately be responsive on those two. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, we will uh, get all that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much today. This has been a really interesting conversation. I think it gives us some some good insight into what's going on in the rest of the world. Gives us some insight into uh, you know how technologies are being adopted outside the United States, and and obviously, congratulations on on getting the book written, folks. We're going to uh, to wrap it up with that for for Thuru and for Aaron. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 